The following contains plot spoilers, and the comments and opinions expressed herein are for entertainment and commentary purposes only and may not reflect the actual opinions of Geeks Radio or the individual hosts. So don't get mad, it's just a show. There are some stories, like Orpheus in the musical Hades Town, that are told again and again, in the hopes that maybe, someday, they'll get it right. This is one of those stories, and we're still waiting for them to get it right. This is totally super. I hate to correct you publicly, um, but uh, this is just kind of super. Yeah, it's, it's not just totally. A, it's, I mean, it's, let's it's, be honest; it's not even fantastic, not remotely. It's it's it's, it's what this is. Uh, welcome to Totally Super. Where we review every superhero movie ever made. My name is Justin, and my name is Arthur, and today we are reviewing the okay four um <laughs> the the adequate four today today we are we are uh trying to find out uh is this the worst fantastic four movie find out today on totally super where we review um, the i like this the fine quatrain yeah the so so we are coming up on the heels of two other i, mean, I it's probably a year and a half now since we did it um mm-hmm. where we reviewed two fantastic four movies the first one uh, which was done by Roger Corman, a B movie that was ultimately went unreleased, and mm-hmm. then the 2015 reboot, um, done by Josh Trank, which was a train wreck of production. Oh man! And and, and the film itself is is nearly unwatchable. Um, it's just not not good at all. Um, and we kept referencing the other Fantastic Four movies, the the mainstream Fantastic Four. But I guess the Josh Trank one was supposed to be a mainstream Fantastic yeah. Four movie. Um, I mean, it, 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 by design, that's what it was supposed to be. I don't think they were going, hey, let's make a Marvel movie and have no one see it. Um, <laughs> but this is the one that everyone kind of saw. This was a successful mm-hmm. film, sort of. Yeah. And so it's sort of one that we have to cover. It's one that I want to cover. It's a great time to cover it. Uh, mm-hmm. This is the first time that we've really had a chance to to mention the big Marvel announcement. Uh, I wanted to do a big news show. Um, Arthur, I think rightly so, said, well, our show is sort of an anthology show of movies that people listen to like in a row. So us talking about the Marvel news right now would be like, hey, people want to go back and what if we did a Star Wars show, right? And like you were listening through and then there was a whole episode on what What's going to happen in The Force Awakens? Like, we know now. So it's spending a whole, you know, go over and listen to Trek Off if you want, if you want news, cutting bleeding edge news from three weeks ago. Um, but we, we, this... we like to think of Totally Super as timeless. <laughs> it's so funny because everyone's so like, hey, let's get Trek Off and Totally Super together. And Arthur's like, I don't know if the styles really match <laughs> very much. So there was. You, I, you, it, you, you tolerate me shooting down your ideas so much. It's I am a, grateful. It's okay. It's been 15 years, man. What am I going to do? There's so if you if you will indulge me really briefly, there was an, an enormous uh, Marvel. Uh, may I take 30 seconds? Yeah, to just the, talk yeah. About there the was news. the news dump. So, Absolutely. There, there was there was uh, Marvel news like you've never seen before, and Star Wars news. Frankly, that essentially there was a Disney investors meeting that is usually like an hour of like here's what we're doing, and instead it was three hours long and it was just filled with trailers. Um, and if you haven't seen some of the amazing things and the big news coming out of Star Wars. It's huge. The Ahsoka show that's coming, the Obi-Wan Kenobi show that's coming, the casting of Hayden Christensen in said Obi-Wan Kenobi show, the thing after thing after thing after thing, basically going, you're going to be seeing Star Wars movies and Star Wars movies and shows forever. And mm-hmm. then right after the Star Wars presentation, they said, and for Marvel, um, we're going to be having, you know, Spider-Man 3 is going to have uh, Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire in it as well. And we're, it's going to be a big blend over and, 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 bunches of trailers including 
an amazing, just an amazing set of trailers for Marvel TV coming up, uh, mm-hmm. including the the upcoming Loki show, which looks astoundingly weird and cool. But it looks um, like it looks like Doctor Who with an extraordinarily selfish and evil Doctor with an extraordinarily evil, <laughs> evil and selfish Doctor. The most standard spinoff show you could have in Falcon of the Winter Soldier, and that if you're going to spin off one of the greatest movie trilogies ever, uh, this seems absolutely worthy of being part of the Captain America thing that's out there. Mm-hmm. Um, an an incredible look at. Uh, an upcoming show this just like in a week from now probably before you even hear us record again is WandaVision is going to be coming out oh, looks so uh, good. which is essentially what happens if if Marvel meets a Christmas cancellation which is my movie <laughs> where people realize they're in a TV show Wait, you, you made I'm a movie so called a Christmas cancellation that's about people realizing they're in a TV show Justin yes uh, if one of them was a robot and one of them was a witch it would be the same freaking show um, so uh, I'm sorry this is a thing that, that I have a problem with that Hollywood steals all my ideas Mm-hmm. And among the many things that they released, the information they shared about the upcoming Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, which looks amazing as well, they just put forth a little poster with a big four and a circle around it saying that this is the next major property that they're doing. Um, four so, times the charm? Yeah, I know. Seriously. But I think that, frankly, let, let's just take 30 seconds on it now. Of all the Marvel properties that have yet to been de- developed into the MCU, Fantastic Four seems to me to be the most easily includable in the MCU, especially like in phase one of the MCU. Mm -hmm. Like now that we're galactic and gods and magic and everything, it's almost a little quaint. But like right around when Iron Man was coming out and Iron Man 2, like that right between phase one, phase two, I could see right right after like Age of Ultron, Mm -hmm. a Fantastic Four movie. I could see Reed Richards knowing Tony Stark. Yeah. Um, And so it's, I'm excited about it. You know, in Marvel, we trust, right? Marvel does, you know, generally does pretty well. Their track record's pretty solid so so that is that is sort of the news i regarding the fantastic four is that marvel is eventually going to integrate these characters into the mcu um the only i mean i guess the thing that this movie does that is not true of the comics is of course the fantastic four is and, and i don't want to go over the same ground that we've gone over before but i guess i'll just do it now the fantastic four is the first marvel comic it's the first one that marvel did uh, mm-hmm. fantastic four number one um and it follows a, a group of family and friends who go into space get these powers and then through these powers they find it hard to reintegrate into their regular old lives um and they they move into the baxter building they become heroes uh on sort of a large scale and also sort of scientific advisors to the rest of the marvel universe like if you ever have a you know the x-men are in trouble what do you do call reed richards like it's like it, mm-hmm. it just happens in every marvel comic someone's like we have hidden intellectual wall time to call reed richards mm-hmm. so that's that that's sort of been their place um what these movies that we're about to talk about and the ones we've already seen have not been able to do is to say what is the place of a Fantastic Four in a world where superheroes are already super prevalent. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's maybe where they would exist the best. Yeah. Because because the idea of the whole world's amazed by your stretchy powers is, is we're going to talk about it. I think it's it a very good question is always what do you need a thing for when you have a Hulk? Yeah. Um, and the answer should of course be that the, the what do you need any character for if you have other humans? The, the in, answer should should be because the character is interesting yeah um good point so let's talk about um uh real quick tale of the tape directed by tim story came out in 2005 with a budget of 87.5 to 100 million dollars we'll talk about the production a little bit later box office of 335 million dollars in the general rule is you need to make twice your box office in order to break even so if they spent 100 they make 335 cool 100 million made for the studio not too bad yeah um this is 20th century fox picture this predates marvel's uh, acquisition 
of um, of Fantastic Four, and frankly, I think predates uh, Disney's acquisition of Marvel. Uh, this is um, starring Ian Gruffeld, Jessica Alba, Chris Evans, uh, Michael Chiklis, Julie McMahon, and Kerry Washington, um, and uh, spawns a sequel that we'll talk about next week, Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer. Uh, 27% in Rotten Tomatoes, not that that matters, uh, but it's generally mixed reviews saying anywhere from the movie sort of fun to the movie is a pointless waste of space. Mm-hmm. And sort of in between is where it is. So uh, on that note, sir, what happens in the Fantastic Four? Okay, I'm going to be pulling this plot uh, heavily adapted from the Wikipedia plot, credit where credit is due. Uh, and I'm also going to do this relatively quickly so we can get to talking about the movie as opposed to hearing about what is in this movie. <clears throat> Dr. Reed Richards, a genius but timid and bankrupt physicist, is convinced that evolution was triggered millions of years ago on Earth by clouds of cosmic energy in space and has calculated that one of these clouds is soon going to pass near Earth. Together with his friend, Ben Grimm, Reed convinces his equally brilliant but conceited MIT classmate, Dr. Victor Von Doom, now CEO of Von Doom Industries, to allow him access to his privately owned space station to test the effects of exposure to the cloud. Von Doom agrees in exchange for control over the experiment and a majority of the profits. He brings aboard his beautiful chief genetics researcher and Reed's ex-girlfriend from MIT, Susan Storm, and her hot-headed brother Johnny Storm, a private astronaut who is Ben's subordinate at NASA, but is his superior on the mission. The quintet travels to space to observe the cosmic energy clouds, but Reed has miscalculated and the clouds materialize well ahead of schedule. Reed, Susan, and Johnny leave the shielded station to rescue Ben, who has gone on a spacewalk to place the samples, and Victor closes the shield behind them. Ben receives full exposure out in space, while the others receive a more limited dose within the station. They return home, but soon begin to develop strange powers. Reed is able to stretch like rubber. Susan can become invisible and create force fields, especially when angered. Johnny can engulf himself in fire temperatures in excess of 4,000 Kelvin and is able to fly. And Ben is transformed into a large rock-like creature with superhuman strength and durability. Victor, meanwhile, faces a backlash from his stockholders due to the publicity from the failed mission and has a scar on his face from an exploding control console he was near during the cloud's pass. Ben returns home to see his fiancée, Debbie, but she cannot handle his new appearance and flees. Literally flees. He goes to brood on Brooklyn Bridge and accidentally causes a traffic pileup while stopping a man from committing suicide. Four use their various powers to contain the damage and prevent anyone from being hurt. While the public cheers them for their efforts, Ben sees his fiancé leave her engagement ring on the ground and run, literally fleeing again. (laughs) Reed hands a heartbroken Ben the ring and vows to find a way to turn him back to normal. The media dubs them the Fantastic Four for their efforts. Victor watches the news story and is told that his company is lost now. The group's fame overriding the company's fate with the media. The four move into Reed's lab in the Baxter building to study their abilities and find a way to return Ben to normal. Victor offers his support in their efforts, but blames Reed for the mission's failure, the lights flickering as he grows enraged. Reed tells the group he will construct a machine to recreate the storm and reverse its effect on their bodies, but warns it could possibly accelerate them instead. However, a reckless Johnny refuses to give up his powers and uses them to help him win extreme sports, thus exposing Reed, Susan, and Ben's abilities to the public, which leads to a small fight between him and Ben after making fun of them. Johnny claims that these new powers are a higher calling. Meanwhile, Victor continues to mutate, his arm turning into an organic metal and allowing him to produce bolts of electricity, and he begins plotting to use his new powers to take his revenge. Victor drives a wedge between Ben and Reed, as the group's research has allowed him to rekindle his relationship with Susan. Reed and Ben argue, with Ben walking out in a rage. Susan later scolds Johnny on how he is using his powers just for showing off to gain popularity. This motivates Reed to attempt the machine on himself, but he cannot generate
generate the power needed to push the storm to critical mass. Victor hears Reed tell Susan this through security cameras and has Ben brought to the lab. Ben is placed in the machine, and Doom uses his abilities to produce the electricity needed to power it, turning Ben back to normal and accelerating Doom's condition, causing much of his body to turn to metal. Victor knocks the human Ben unconscious and kidnaps Reed. Victor, now calling himself Doom, just Doom, like Madonna, dons a metal mask to hide his physical disfigurations and incapacitates Reed using a super cooling unit. Doom fires a heat-seeking missile at the Baxter building to kill Johnny, and Johnny flies through the city to evade it, lighting a garbage barge on fire to trick it. Susan confronts, Susan rushes to confront Doom as Ben begins to regret his decision to turn normal. Susan frees Reed and battles Doom, but is outmatched. Ben arrives to save her, transformed into the thing again by reusing the machine. The battle spills into the streets, and the four assemble to battle Doom. Johnny and Susan combine their powers to wrap Doom in an inferno of intense heat, and Ben and Reed douse him with cold water, inducing thermal shock and freezing Doom in place. As an epilogue, Ben informs Reed that he has accepted his condition, with the help of Alicia Masters, a blind artist for whom he has developed feelings, and the team decide to embrace their roles as superheroes and unite officially as the Fantastic Four. Reed proposes marriage to Susan, who accepts and they share a kiss. Meanwhile, Doom's statuesque remains are being transported back to his homeland of Latveria, when the Dockmaster's electronic manifest briefly experiences electronic interference. Fiend? Oh my gosh. You know, it, I didn't think the movie could sound dumber, but now... I the, Okay, so let me just start in general with this film, is yeah. that the plot overall... Yeah, there's a couple there's a couple major plot holes in it, like the sense of the, okay, if the machine can turn Ben back and, like, if it can take away his powers and give them back with no issues, then why don't they just do that? And, oh, by the way, Reed Richards has now created a power-giving machine. Like, that's going to have... yeah. yeah. Um, it would have been better if the machine kind of worked, but with some terrible cost or consequence. So they realize, well, we, that can't work. Um, I think there are two major issues that I have with this film. Uh, the plot is actually not one of them. I think one of them is they couldn't decide on tone. This was a film, even though this was made in 2005, where theoretically, you know, we were beginning to understand, oh no, superhero movies can work. This was again, something that still saw superhero movies as just being kind of lighthearted. Like the soundtrack set sa- Half the time sounds like it's from Ghostbusters. There are continuous like little ha ha moments like the pigeon pooping on Ben's shoulder oh where gosh. you get the sense uh-huh. that the, uh-huh, uh-huh, you get the sense that the creators aren't taking it super seriously. Again, um, Doom this predates they, Iron Man by three years. OK, well, then may, that it's a little more forgivable. But that's the thing. They they reimagined Doom as this, you know, power hungry businessman. But I guess because they thought, well, clearly, you know, some mad dictator from Latveria uh, who refers to himself in the third person, all these things. Well, that's too far fetch to work except we have now proven that if you want Thanos to work you make him a massive space being with designs to destroy half the universe like the movies since then have proven no the way to make villains work is to do them exactly as they have been done in the comics uh so that's my first issue with it um and then the second thing the characters themselves like the Fantastic Four I actually kind of liked the characterizations for each of them um they didn't blow me away but they were pretty solid what made me laugh so much is that the rest of New York City they all worship the god of narrative convenience. Have you been married to somebody for a long time, but uh, narration means that they need to be put through emotional distress? Well, then you will instantaneously decide, I can't do this. And not only that, you will display the fact that you can't do this in the most symbolic way possible. Uh, By fleeing? By by putting the ring on the ground and fleeing. 
are you some random person with with stuff to do walking around New York but then see something that's interesting? Not only will you stop to watch it, you will comment on it very loudly, <laughs> loud enough that somebody filming, you know, say with a camera, might actually pick up what it is that you're saying and how your commentary reflects the rest of the personality of New York City in viewing this incredible thing. Like, when you go back, yeah, th- when you watch it in, you're like, what are all of these random people doing? Yeah, I think that, that there. so there's a term in fiction um, and our appreciation of fiction and the term is mulligan. And a mulligan is what you, when you a story does something that that is kind of ridiculous and doesn't work, but is necessary for the story to happen. And so you give them one. You go, mm-hmm. okay, you know what? This uh, okay, I'll give it to you, and I can still enjoy your story. Yeah. And then there's ironically something called the term is a bridge too far, which is when there's just a point where you've given so much mulligans or the or so many mulligans or the mulligan is so large that it is the point at which you turn on the story. And mm-hmm. I can tell you, you lived in New York. You live in New York. You live in Queens. I did. Not too far from Brooklyn. Nope. In point of fact. Um, Similar in what personality. Are the, what are the odds that his girlfriend would have been on the Brooklyn Bridge right there at that moment when everything was happening? Not not great. No, no, not really. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> so that was the moment I turned on the story. That was the moment mm-hmm. that I turned on the movie Um, because it was like, I couldn't just, I couldn't deal with the fact that a huge character plot moment is happening because what? <laughs> She's on the bridge right now? Also, I'm, I'm sorry. That whole thing I mean, I suppose somebody could like that whole aspect of it is either an insult, a profound insult to the institution of marriage or Ben and his wife had an absolutely worthless surface marriage, which is entirely possible. But if that's the case, then you really needed to show that in other ways. Yeah, I th- I think that when it comes down to his narrative conven- convenience is yeah. is the name of the game. Let's get it through. But like it's it's and again, when we finally talk about Wonder Woman 1984 and we will in just a few weeks, you're going to hear me scream some of the same stuff that i'm saying now which is like like you can't have major plot things happen in ways that they could not possibly happen right it would be like be like and he finally shows himself to be who she is he is and she happens to be washing the windows on the 32nd floor and she sees it when she's never washed windows before like it's like like it makes absolutely no sense that she'd be there and it's a huge character moment that because all I'm thinking is, what the hell is she doing there? The mm-hmm. character moment falls entirely flat. And I don't yeah. think I'm exaggerating. The odds of her being on that bridge at that time is the same as the odds of she's a corporate executive, but happens to overhear a conversation on the 32nd floor because she's washing the windows mm-hmm. outside the third. It's as remarkable that she would be there. And the minute that character moment falls flat, suddenly the whole Ben story for me collapses like a, a house of cards. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's talk about works. I don't want to just be negative yeah. on the film. Let's talk about some things that work. Um, and to talk about the things that work, I have to talk about things that don't work. Um, and unfortunately, the first two things that don't work for me here are are Reed and Sue. Um, okay. um, I think that Jessica Alba is an actress of limited range. Um, and when she knows what her range is and what she should be doing and where she should be doing it, she can be very, very good. Um, mm-hmm. I actually, I love the fourth Spy Kids movie and her is sort of a, a, you know, she is good at playing somebody who is, she's sort of like a, um, what's her name who played Faith on Buffy? Uh, Eliza Dushku. Uh, 
Eliza Dushku. She's good at playing someone who is not remarkably smart, but reasonably smart, but mm-hmm. street smart and tough. Mm-hmm. Is, is and, and and sort of knows her way around. It's why she does so well as a as a butt kicking stepmom in Spy Kids Four, for instance. It's mm-hmm. like it's it's she's good at that. Her as the sort of love struck but also fully empowered genius level scientist. Um, I don't see anything about Jessica Alba that would tell me that she's a a genius or b love struck. Mm-hmm. She she strikes me as as someone who you know someone breaks up with her she gets over it. Mm-hmm. You know she she does not convey to me that the the vulnerability and lack of confidence that Sue's supposed to have at the beginning of this film. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know Ian Gruffold, uh, I, I I looked him up. And I haven't seen anything else that he's done except he shows up in Titanic really briefly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know. I know he's not American and I don't know if it's that he because he nails the accent. Certainly it's, he sounds mm-hmm. American, but there's there, there's a lack of of it's not that he's doing a bad job. But when you're the lead in a superhero movie like you are, you have to necessarily put him next to Patrick Stewart and Hugh Jackman or yeah. Robert Downey Jr. Or and, and I and I, Actually, and I there think was what, there was nothing wrong that he did like because I'm thinking about it and actually. Actually, Jessica Alba, I'd put in the same way. There was nothing necessarily wrong that they did. Um, I just think she was miscast. Yeah, I think. And uh, Jan Grofold, I, you know, I liked his performance. Um, there were some good things to it. But when you are the star there, what what he lacked was a, was that je ne sais quoi of like just that star quality. It's the sort of thing that, you know, it's the reason why Dwayne The Rock Johnson is a mega superstar, even though he's not the best actor in the whole world. But he just has this presence, this something. Patrick Stewart is an incredible actor and has that presence and something. Um, Young Gruffold, he he was a good actor. I'd actually, I'd love to see him at like, shoot, I'd love to see him in like a Pride and Prejudice or something like a Regency piece. But, I'd like to see him on like a, on a TV show, like a light drama or a sitcom. Yeah. I think he'd um, be great. Yeah, and actually Mike Kelly, she said she she really liked him in a show that uh, um, I think called Forever, that like it only lasted one season, but where he was like a time traveling doctor, um, oh, except cool. not that time traveling doctor. Uh, but, but yeah, he just doesn't, he wasn't big enough for the big screen yeah i think and i think that that after the those guys you get into better casting um mm-hmm. i think julian mcmahon as doom he's not doom yeah um he's not he's not doom, my doom but he's but he's having a good time with it i gotta mm-hmm. say he is you know i i don't like the writing for doom in this i don't like the plotting for doom in this and it's not that he's great i mean i would love to see a great doom mm-hmm. you know i mean i would love to see what happens if you were to put you know you know 19 1980s Pacino in that role yeah you know what I mean like I, I mean like honestly someone... my my favorite doom that I've seen is still the, the guy who did it in Roger Corman because at least he was like yeah doom's like Benito Mussolini and it's like yeah you're getting it yeah or, or, if he did, or if he wasn't already Dr. Strange wouldn't it be cool to see Benedict Cumberbatch oh as god doom? he'd be so good yeah. in that yeah yeah so so but at least he's having fun and then I think that you know Michael Chiklis is not a very good actor but he's I loved him for, for thing I he's loved him for, for Ben. yeah um he's you know he, he is exactly what you're saying about the rock he is pitch perfect for this role born to play this role he's, he's doing he, a great job like he plays the pathos very well yeah he, he does both and through tons of makeup by the way yeah um so i never saw the shield i hear that he's very good on it mm-hmm. um but he's he's perfect and then we got to call out who's the best part of this movie is chris evans you're saying chris, without chris evans, who I, I think is now the only actor to have played two marvel superheroes um and and a series of other superheroes while we're at it because he's also in scott pilgrim oh my god um, you're right he's also in scott pilgrim he's in this he's in captain 
America, and I think there's one more. It is easy to forget that before Captain America, Chris Evans was known for playing total jerks. Yeah. Um. Uh. So I'm trying to think. He he did that. Um. He voiced uh Casey Jones in TMNT. That was him. Um. And then he was uh he was also in The Losers in 2010. So he's like made his he's made his his entire thing out of being superheroes. But I gotta say, you know when when I first heard. I didn't think that he would be a very good actor. I thought he was like one of those Ryan Reynolds types. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, like, look at me. I'm just sarcastic all the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, we later find out that he is, you know, I'm, we are here in my home. We're in the process of rewatching Infinity War and Endgame right now. Mm-hmm. So we are like 20 minutes into Endgame. We're just doing it like half an hour time at dinner time mm-hmm. for like four or five days. Nice. Um, he's so good. Yeah. He's he has so, wonderful sincerity. Um, and, and, and minimalist. It, not just sincerity. Like sincerity is is the first two Captain America films, but the, 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 the sincere but also heartbroken, mm-hmm. you know, the, the way that he plays Cap at the beginning of Endgame is yeah. oh, something in the, I, I... Like in the, like the, the support meeting? The, the, the support meeting and just, just the him being kind of broken yeah. um, is, is I'm like, wow, that, I've seen this guy play every range. I've seen this guy be super heroic. I've seen him be sarcastic. I've seen him be the love interest. I've seen him be funny and not another team movie. Mm-hmm. I've seen him be the villain um, in both. He's great in Knives Out, by the way. If you haven't oh, seen Knives so Out, he's, yeah. he's just spectacularly good in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's an actor that when he first started playing Captain America, I thought he was like what you said about The Rock. Like, oh, he's good at doing this one thing. Mm-hmm. Actually, he is a he is a, a, a yeah. versatile. He's a legit actor. He deserves to be the star that he is because he is he like I've yet to see him ha- get thrown something that he just couldn't do. Also, from um, a personal level, introverts represent. Go um, uh, so he is in this this role um the the selling point even in the trailer is is uh is is you know imagine this but all over yeah you know that <laughs> and that was in the and that made me go okay i'm gonna kind of like the film whenever he's on screen i don't like the writing for him um what is he is he a jerk is he a nice guy is he a extreme sports guy does he want fame is he upset about what or what's his i don't know but Contrary Chris Evans to the, ever seen. i think that's a, they were clearly going for a jerk with a heart of gold the yeah. jerk was in the writing the heart of gold was in chris evans performance of it he yeah because it certainly wasn't in the writing um the the uh like at the very end when um you know when when ben turns to johnny and asks very sincerely he's like please no more you know jokes about my size or about all this and everything and he's just like and he just very sincerely is like call me mr sensitive from here and out and then turns like okay guys wide load coming through (laughs) like with chris evans's delivery of it you understand there is actual affection in that yeah he means no harm he he means no harm and if anything is actually like even giving him more credit than that, there's almost a chance that he's just like, no, oh, Ben kind of needs some lighthearted right now. Like, even though he doesn't think he does, um, or at least that's his intent. That's, that is all infused into the writing by Chris Evans. I get the sense that the writer was just like, ah, it's going to be so funny. Cause Johnny gets another one at the end. Ha <laughs> zing. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm with you there. And this is normally what we do at the end. So I guess we've kind of gone through the, the actors and the characterizations, which is normally what we do at the end of the show. The, let's but be I honest. Think... This movie does not need an hour and a half deep dive. Yeah. Well, and also the, this this is about the four of them. It's both the success and the failure of this film is that it centers around the Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. Um, the success is uh, so, so that we need to talk about them first. Um, and the success is that Chris Evans is great. Michael Chiklis is perfect for what he's doing. Um, and the concepts of what they can do and the plights that they would give them are, are inherently interesting enough. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem with this film is that there are four characters and they're all the lead. And that's a that's an it's issue tricky. that I had with ninjas do, versus with ninjas versus zombies it is the biggest 
biggest problem that I have is that there is no clear lead of that film. Mm. Um, and I didn't realize until after I made the film that that's an issue because you need to necessarily be with someone's journey. And I'm not saying you can't do an ensemble film, mm -hmm. um, but it's when you're also saying we're going to have the spectacle and the fights and 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 we're also going to spend a quarter of the film with Doom, like mm -hmm. and and his you know the you know oh another meeting another meeting at a business. This is Ooh, exactly why I bought yeah. this ticket. Um, and <laughs> and they're trying to give everybody their thing to do. What ends up happening in this film that is only 106 minutes long, right? This is old. This is barely over an hour and a half. Mm -hmm. And you're going okay. We need this much time for action because it is a superhero film. Um, and we need this much time to just show the origin. So that's mm -hmm. this part. And we've got four main characters and a bad guy who's also mm -hmm. a main character. Like you just divide it up. If you say okay, we need a half an hour for action, that leaves 12 minutes per character. Mm -hmm. And and I think that the problem is that the movie does not center on a lead. Um, and you can do it in Avengers because all you need to do is give Rocket like four minutes of screen time. Yeah. Because you've built up Rocket through two movies at that point. Yeah. You're already on his side, and so all it takes is a little look here and there mm -hmm. to get forward the story that you need to tell for him and you because you're already invested an audience member you're with him yeah and i think that that structurally without giving this movie a lead a lead role i think that you find yourself having a problem i mean everyone else general, could just be archetypes now that's all that ensemble gets. ensemble stories work better as you know as a series instead of a film because you've got the time to explore every character individually yeah and i think that 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 what if you look at the first avengers movie for instance mm -hmm. you know you can take a character like black widow who had only been a side character in the other films you weren't emotionally invested in her mm -hmm. but she had a very clear beginning middle and end of her story yeah um and and you immediately got what she was all about and she you're also dealing with you know an academy award-winning actress yeah um or, or and and the, and a top level writer too who yeah, specializes yeah. in ensemble work yeah and i think the problem here is that you you know you can have characters that can show something with just a glance and unfortunately these actors are not those actors that's true um and it which is i i, I hate to slam other actors um and it's going to sound like i'm slamming them i'm not i loved dark angel and there are things that i love jessica alban is you know you, you said forever was really good like it's i just feel like maybe they weren't given the time or the energy or the emphasis i don't know where the fall down is but the problem is, is the when sometimes it's sometimes it's directing too it's it's actually it's a reason why all of our generation is actually kind of excited to see hayden christensen come back as anakin slash vader even though none of us really liked his performance in the prequels with it but there's almost the sense that all of us now are just like yeah lucas was not exactly the best actors director in the world so let's give this guy another shot yeah and and look i don't want to i i am not a great director again i hate to slam directors because i'm a director i've made <laughs> six movies i can i know what goes into just making those little movies god knows what it goes into making a giant marvel property that's supposed to bring in half a billion dollars like i, I can't mm -hmm. imagine um, Tim Story is not a storied director, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. um, Tim Tim Story is uh, directed Barbershop, which is all right. Taxi, which is terrible. Both Fantastic Four movies. Uh, Ride Along, which was terrible. Um, uh, Ride Along 2, the latest version of Shaft, which is terrible. Um, and the new Tom and Jerry movie, which looks... You know, spoiler alert, terrible. Um, <laughs> um, I don't... What he has done is he's directed a bunch of music videos. Some of them are are, are really good. Mm -hmm. And might just be that his sensibilities are not suited. You know, he's done a lot of small comedies um, and a lot of mm -hmm. small urban comedies. And he's those are the places where, where he has gotten some acclaim. Yeah. Um, and it might just be that this is not the thing for him. Yeah. And again, you know, all you had at this point was X-Men and the first Spider-Man and mm -hmm. the Batman movies. That's all you had to go by 
AI. So yeah. we are in, in a realm where people haven't sort of figured out how to do it. So I don't... Well, wasn't the... Uh, I mean, the original plan was for Chris Columbus to direct this, I think. Really? And then I think... I think yeah, I'm looking at the Wikipedia thing, and I think he was the original writer and director, um, and then he sort of stepped back into just a producing role. Yeah, Chris Columbus is also a, 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 a an uneven director. Um, mm-hmm. Again, depends... Your, your mileage may vary. I don't like his take on the Harry Potter films. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and that's sort of where things come from. But I love the first two Home Alone movies. I think they're great. Yeah. Um, Peyton Reed, it looks like, was also going to do it. Um, Sean Astin was going to do it, which is weird. Um, so so let's let, let's talk about, we've talked about the four. Let's talk about the fantastic. Um, the other part where you as a viewer out there, listener, um, might fall down a little bit is that we are just used to more now. Yeah. And it's worth going back to go, okay, where were we? X-Men came out in 2000. X-Men, uh, the second X-Men movie, I think came out like three years later and we're post the first Spider-Man, which had this insane budget. Mm-hmm. This incredibly over-the-top budget. Yeah. Um, now we're used to Endgame, even even lower-level superhero movies like like the first Deadpool was considered low-budget. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, I wonder if this would have been enough because this is right around the era of like Daredevil, right? Yeah. This is like, and I wonder if at the time, if I'm a you know teenage boy for whom this is clearly geared. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, can I side? Can I sidebar? Sure. I understand that Sue needs to take off her clothes to be invisible. Oh my gosh, I'd forgotten about that. Oh, that was a problematic moment. Oh. But moment? Oh, that yeah. one oh. moment? Well, or, there's one that jumped out in particular, but just in general. But like in general, it's like, hey, we can all think how neat it is that she's taking off her bra. You know, mm-hmm. as you know, as they as, as they said in uh, I forget the movie I was just watching where, so, where someone goes, "Ooh, I have girl parts." Yeah, we got it. Yeah. <coughs> well, and it was um, that was yet yeah, the yeah that's a good point. The okay, yes, of course you have to undress in order to be invisible until you get the suit that reflects that. That's fine. But but again, that was absolutely not the moment to turn that into another. Ah ha ha ha! Let's have a laugh at the woman's expenses. She gets undressed and then of course like as soon as it happened i'm just like of course she's going to reappear in public and have to deal with that embarrassment because apparently that was funny then yeah everybody and, gets to see your bits and you didn't give them consent to yeah, oh they're taking oh. pictures too How oh nice. god justin who were we 15 years ago i don't Sweet know Lord. I, I, it's it's it, it i think it was a problem then mm-hmm. frankly i can't imagine being being a yeah. teenage 25 girl yeah watching. yeah that's the i mean well with the caveat it's always been a problem duh um yeah. but in terms of i think 25 years ago it wouldn't it wouldn't have quote unquote been a problem 15 years ago I think we were just beginning to get the sense of maybe this is a problem yeah I mean I think that it's I think it's intrinsically in the you know it's right around the time I think right after this is where you start having the the proud nudity you had Mm -hmm. that uh, you you had that uh, and and they didn't actually show bits in it but you have the breakup I think which has Jennifer Aniston and a key point in that is where she's just like empoweredly walking across the room naked Mm -hmm. and, and you get that like you know and it flummoxes the guy around her and all of a sudden you 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 flip the script on that mm-hmm. moment where you go where you go hey if i choose to be naked and it makes you feel disempowered then that's you know that's not my problem yeah that's that's a, that's a that's a power that i got that's my superpower and mm-hmm. and i think that you know that has even gotten to the point where where you get to like the walk of shame in game of thrones mm-hmm. where uh, i mean it's spoiler for game of thrones for like season 3 of game of thrones but a mm-hmm. a a main character in game of thrones is made to walk naked as a way to shame her um through the city streets and what the walk the walk starting off is this very shaming invasive moment becomes almost this moment of power mm-hmm. for her as she just sort of claims it and by the end is you know she's not weeping as she does it she's head held high mm-hmm. and it you know and it's flipped so it's, this seems really kind of backward and dated yeah th- this whole like oh you get to see your bits and maybe once like they did it to johnny too 
two. So, okay, maybe one time. Mm-hmm. But then when it keeps happening and happening and happening, you're like, okay, guys, we got mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Um, and I think the... you. Know, Everything else is sort of perfunctory. The space station stuff is fine. It's, I can't cite anything wrong with it. I mean, the, for two thousand, as I remember, the two thousand for two thousand five, the special effects were fine. Um, the morph technology for Mister Fantastic was pretty weird. But yeah. morphing tech is really, really hard to do. Like, um, I can't even like the force field stuff was pretty solid. Uh, you know, the flame effects were they were all right. They were um, good. They I, were fine. Yeah, the thing and the thing. Well, I mean, the thing was more prosthetics than any CGI. But I really liked that. Uh, yeah. You you know, even because I remember Spider-Man, which was a big triumph at the time. Uh, I remember even with that, with Spider-Man, like, you know, running across the rooftops. It was like, eh, that's more than a little Uncanny Valley there. Yeah, you look so. back now. And look, I don't know how you don't do the Uncanny Valley with Reed Richards. You look at the new Fantastic mm-hmm. Four movie where they made it very realistic and it becomes like like body mm-hmm. horror. Oh, yeah. That's the thing. Morphing tech is hard to do because it's just disturbing, period. Yeah. You don't you don't really want to think about the yeah. fact that somebody somebody can do that. Yep. Um, uh, on a side note, because I know we're never going to review it because it's a show. But uh, highest possible recommend for Doom, Doom Patrol, which I'm watching now for the first time. Mm. Um, uh, talk about a, a show that deals with these issues a thousand times better than this. Um, but if <laughs> if you liked The Boys or The Umbrella Academy, you want something as good or better. All right. I then Do, Doom, Doom Patrol on HBO Max, which is after I, I got HBO Max for uh, Wonder Woman 84. I kept it for Doom Patrol, mm-hmm. um, which makes it not that bad of a buy. Um, <laughs> uh, spoiler alert for our Wonder Woman 84 podcast. Um, I I think the problem is is one of the things you want. So there's a there's a, a a story writing technique that I'm a fan of. That some people in Hollywood are like, oh, it's so tired now. But there's a um a guy named Blake uh, wrote something called Save the Cat. Um, and there's a series of books based around it about story writing technique. But this stage of the movie is what's called in Act Two the promise of the premise or the fun and games. And hmm. the idea of it is this is why you came to see the movie. So, Here so for this, Godzilla. Is the, this is the bit that they showed in the trailer. Mm-hmm. This is the bit that you imagined would be in the movie. And this is the part of the movie, the first half of the second act, which is one quarter of the movie because the second act is twice as long as everything else. And the first half of the second act of the movie is just giving you all that stuff you want. Wolverine mm-hmm. in the X-Mansion or Tony trying on his his stuff for the first time or mm-hmm. when Freddy starts doing the 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 the, the vivid nightmare kills or whatever mm-hmm. it is. The, the, the reason you came to the movie... That's why you bought the ticket. There. Yeah. And then halfway through the first act, first act or through the second act, that's when you turn it and you go, yeah, but is this as good as you thought it'd be? Because this is a real problem for your characters. And then mm. they deal with it. So so when you get to that, especially the promise of the premise, but kind of anywhere where you have a fantastical movie, you were the one who told me in fight choreography. And I think it's not just fight choreography. I think it's any kind of spectacle where mm. you do you do regular move, regular move, cool move, regular move, regular move, cool move. And you can have in a fight scene what looks like a thousand cool moves when only a third mm-hmm. of them need to be cool moves yeah because you're throwing a cool move in there that's that's interesting and innovative um or you're giving a moment where you go ha i n- never occurred to me what it might be like the first time tony tried on his suit of course it makes him fly into a wall yeah that's, of course <laughs> that's of course great that's what happens um what this movie is lacking is cool moves yes everything that they do is like the thing is strong and can stop a truck mm-hmm. okay we, we've yeah. seen strong guys do that before you know he can go under a door that's sort of neat she can mm-hmm. turn invisible 
That's but there's nothing you haven't seen before mm-hmm. in this. You know, when you get to the next movie, Rise of the Silver Surfer, some real inventiveness is put into what can the surfer do. It's why it's a better movie than this one. Spoiler alert for next week is mm-hmm. because you're doing oh what if this happens? You know, it's, the Spider-Man movies are really good about this. Like because you've seen him swinging along roof, rooftops, so they're always like let's try a new way of swinging. The, I remember the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movie at one point had all of the cranes in the oh, movie I, come out. Yeah, and, and and you're like oh that's cool. That was cool. I, I, yeah, but, I mean, oh, it, it, it was because it wasn't just cool. It also I mean the most cool stuff is stuff that's not just cool but also is meant to embody some further theme of the story. And all those cranes moving together was the moment of New York City, which was its own character in that film, sort of showing we are here for you. And that's the ideal situation. But you can even do like, you've seen True Lies, right? Yes. So there's a moment in True Lies where Arnold is is walking out to fight some terrorists and he's walking next to his wife and there's a machine gun. There's a machine gun laying on the ground and he stomps on the machine gun like it's Marty McFly stomping on a skateboard and Mm -hmm. it does a double flip up into his arms and he starts firing it. Mm -hmm. Now my understanding is that that take took like a hundred takes to do it. Awesome. Um, But that moment, which is less than a second long and you might miss if you're not paying attention to it. Mm -hmm. If you are paying attention, if you notice it, you're like, holy crap, that was cool. Yeah. It's frankly what I thought every single time when I first saw Back to the Future that Marty made the skateboard jump up into his hands by stomping on it. You're like, Mm -hmm. that's neat. That's cool. Yeah. And and I feel what this movie fails to give you is thought out little moments like that. Just simple things where when you're watching a superheroic film, you want to be like, okay, that, okay, that's pretty cool. I think there's two, the, the moments that really pop out to me are uh in so in legolas in the first two films of lord of the rings um you know at the in at the end of fellowship when he's fighting um some urukai and basically he like he has an arrow in his hand he stabs one in the neck pulls the arrow out and then turns and immediately fires that same yep. arrow at another one charging that was great i mean to me the absolute height of legolas is in two towers when he pretty much just ski when he like gets an urukai shield and skis down the stone stairs firing arrows as he goes that was awesome and real and also and it was part of it because it was like based on his skill set completely achievable now they made the mistake of going too far in the cool move direction in return of the king where it's like and now legolas took out a whole big massive war elephant yeah but um, you know what i'm i'm okay with that because by the time you get to the third hobbit movie he's jumping like super mario <laughs> yes that she's <laughs> literally jumping like super mario and defying gravity um, um, another great example of this is, um, and again, think Reed Richards, uh, mm-hmm. Terminator two. There are so many of these moments you go, I have a liquid metal dude. What can he do? What can and he do there, with it? Yeah. And, and you know, there are little moments like he gets thrown against the wall face first into the wall and you hear a bloop and suddenly he's face forward Yeah, because he can do that. And you're like, it's just one moment. You're like, Oh crap. That's cool. That's mm-hmm. cool. And I feel like this movie is missing any of that. Yeah. And it's the just co- the it's coolest giving, thing that Mr. Fantastic does and this is redirect water yeah or reach under a door yeah like it's and and at the end i feel like you're you're just sort of coming up with excuses for them to use their powers together to Mm -hmm. to get doom and i think that ultimately when you when you look at this movie it's you know and i guess we're sort of getting to the end of our conversation about it um well let let, let me do this let me just say um it's going to seem abrupt but i don't have that much more to say about it without wrapping up Mm -hmm. and and the things i want to say are part of the wrapping up so uh on a scale of of one to five fours uh since it clearly will not even be a four (laughs) let's do one to four fives uh my head hurts how do you rate fantastic i think i'd give this a 2.5 um i was before the talk i was thinking 2.5 
7.75 because it's not a like to me a three is I walked out of the film saying okay I'm sad I'm satisfied um I would not have walked out of the film thinking I'm satisfied even if I had saw this in the theater uh but wasn't terrible it I mean I give 2.5s to things that are well a little less than fine and that's where this landed for me there were some moments there was there was unfortunately no there were moments that I was like okay that was a solid choice but there were no moments that made me actually go oh oh I liked that that was cool um and there are a lot of films with way more holes in them than this film that I will have rated better because they had those moments of oh my gosh I loved that choice and there were no moments of like that for me there were no real there were only a few moments of oh I really hated that choice and for the most part there was just a lot of moments of "Eh, that choice kind of works yeah I'm 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 of multiple minds I watched this with my nine-year-old who always a good metric who dug it well enough Mm -hmm. hasn't spoken about it since he's not drawing the fantastic four (laughs) afterward but he liked it well enough when we were watching it um gosh the problem that i have i'm going to do something i never do which is use two sports metaphors because i'm not a big sports guy i know sports ball sports ball so in football you are generally trying to get a first down and then a touchdown that's how football works and certainly if you move the ball two yards okay you you did it you you, you mm-hmm. managed to, your dog hates it too yeah um, my dog clearly does um you, you you've you've moved it it's not bad that you moved it two yards but, but nobody's that's not gonna get you, you there yeah, yeah. <laughs> i jump to baseball if you if you bunt and no one's on base and you bunt just to bunt and you make it to first base mm-hmm. okay good for you you're not out but, but. what did you do <laughs> um you know, i i can't the movie's clearly made by corporate decisions yeah um it is it is a movie and i don't hate it it is a thing I don't that exists it. i want to be clear when i watched it i was like all right i was a little bored a little bit you know, mm-hmm. i checked my watch a couple times maybe jumped onto facebook for a second um but i could absolutely see an eight-year-old kid really digging the film yeah in or, or at least kind of digging the film yeah um that i think that the this film suffers from everything we just said and unfortunately the 2.5 i would want to give it in 2005 i can't even give it a 2.5 now. okay simply and maybe i could have given a 2.5 at the beginning of our of our discussion but outside of movies that really like like the those crow sequels right Mm-hmm. Outside of those, most of the movies we've reviewed have been better than this. And True. and even the movies that we've had giant problems with, like The Mask um, mm-hmm. or the original Crow. Or um, I remember Kick-Ass 2 is, I think, the one that's gotten the worst review from us so far. Yeah. Um, I think that at least Kick-Ass 2 I have giant problems with, but they're swinging for the fences. They're trying something. Mm-hmm. And and this is like, th- this film is is the equivalent of a peanut butter sandwich on white bread with no jelly. It's, it's yeah. so okay i mean if there's nothing else um so i, I gotta give it i gotta give it a two oh, that's fair uh, and and it's weird to give it a two because i don't hate it there are movies that i've hated that i've given better reviews mm-hmm. to but it simply isn't trying it doesn't feel like it's trying yeah. i'll give it i'll give you 2.25 specifically for chris evans and michael chiklis uh mostly chris evans michael chiklis too who who delivers mm-hmm. on what it's this is a 1.5 without them yeah. um and and so i give it i give it to that now here's the good news ladies and gentlemen is that i can't imagine that we're going to like next week's film less um I, i've already spoiled what i think i don't know what you've i don't have you watched it yet i have not i'm looking forward to it all right yeah so so do um you know it's a, next week's film spoiler alert will not be getting a four um but, <laughs> but it won't be getting a, a 1.5 it won't be getting a fantastic four but it um it improves in almost every measurable way from this so if you've listened to this review you're like oh i never got around to seeing that second fantastic four film because lots of people didn't lots mm-hmm. of people didn't see that film it was financially it was a, it was a failure um but 
critically, it's it's better regarded and and well deserved. So maybe before coming to listen to us next week, go out and check it out. I'm gonna I'm gonna put it this way. I'm gonna give it this way. I don't do this all the time. I'm gonna give it a a, a, a slight enough recommend that it doesn't need to be one of those films that you're just listening to us talk about, but you never got around to see because you heard that it sucked. Mm-hmm. Of the Fantastic mm-hmm. Four films, it's the one that sucks the least and might be worth a watch before we spoil the hell out of it. Um, mm-hmm. Because it's it's okay. So I look forward to talking to you about it. Um, yeah. But it, but in the meantime, uh, my name is Justin. And my name is Arthur. And hey there, true believers. Stay fantastic. Ah. ah. Now that you've finished the show, be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode of the Totally Super Podcast. Also, if you like this, you should head over to geeksradio.com or search Geeks Radio wherever you listen to podcasts. There you can find Trek Off, the not-safe-for-work Star Trek podcast with Justin and Alexia. So search for Trek Off, search for Pop Off, search for Geeks Radio, and just thanks for joining us. This has been a presentation of Light Entertainment. 